Hey everyone, welcome to episode 99 of Poetry Says. My name is Alice. I welcome you if you're a new listener. If you're someone who's listened to a lot of these and you can feel how crazy it is that I'm at episode 99, then welcome back. It's pretty weird. It's a pretty weird feeling. I was doing an interview earlier today, actually, that I've got lined up for you later on and just talking about starting this podcast in 2016 and thinking about where it started. I was sitting in a cupboard with a headset and recording into Audacity. It was real bad. It was a really bad scene. But now I have some pretty decent microphones and I understand how to use my recording software a lot better. And I've spoken to somewhere in the order of 45 poets, mostly Australian, a couple from overseas. And what I wanted to do today for episode 99 was to share what I have learned. I made 99 episodes of a poetry podcast. Here's what I learned. This is my medium post in verbal format. One of the most interesting things about doing these interviews is that when I turn the mics off, people get really honest And they start to say the things that they really think. And I'm definitely not going to out anyone here. So if you have done an interview with me, do not worry. I'm not naming names or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight a couple of trends because what is fascinating is that in these off-record chats that I tend to have at the end of interviews, the poets that I talk to all tend to say the same things. We tend to come back to these same themes every time and I always say as this person is leaving you know it's so funny everyone has these same uh, complaints I guess these same things that get to them about being a poet in Australia that they only want to talk about kind of off the record and I think that's fascinating because if we've all got the same problems then surely talking about it is only going to make things better right But it's hard. You don't necessarily want to stand behind these statements if you're a poet. So I'm going to do that as a generalization. I'm going to do that in general terms. So none of these comments can be tied back to anyone in particular. But I suspect that if you're a regular listener, if you're a poet, even if you're a new listener who writes poetry, is involved in poetry in Australia, you will resonate with at least one of these things. So number one thing that I have learned from 99 episodes is that we're all incredibly hard on ourselves. We're crazy critical of our artistic output, of what we manage to achieve, um, of what we are capable of. We really seem to spend a lot of time putting ourselves down. I know this is very true for me. For a very long time, it was just such a huge issue for me that I was never writing enough, never reading enough, never felt like I was meeting my own goals. I used to keep these crazy lists of all the time that I'd spent each day and each month on certain tasks to try and make myself feel better about all that. More recently, I've been able to let go of that a bit, which is very freeing. But... Yeah, the reading to start with is such a huge issue. One of the things that people tend to say as they're walking out the door is, 
Oh, I've got such a huge reading stack. I've got so many books on my bedside table or on my desk. I just haven't read them. It's driving me crazy. And this is really a universal thing. So many people seem to have this. And one of the biggest culprits of this, I'm sorry to say, as a subscriber to journals myself, is literary journals. I think subscriptions to journals, you know, it's something that we we want to support. We get these subscriptions because you want a publication like Overland or Mianjin or Ireland to exist. You absolutely want it to be there. And you probably want to get published in it as well. So there's another reason to keep supporting it. However, they turn up each month or each quarter and they're there and they're on your desk and you haven't had time to read them and then another one shows up and then another one shows up and very quickly it starts to get out of hand. So I mentioned that definitely not as a criticism of the journal publishing ecosystem. I think it's fantastic that it's so healthy, but as a bit of a, you know, we're all in this together. If you are listening to this and you're staring at your pile of unread journals, you're not the only one. Everybody has that pile. Everyone is doing their best to get to it. And uh, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff coming out. Just a lot of uh, words being written and published. And this is a good thing. This is not something that we want to change necessarily. So we're hard on ourselves about how much we read, how much we're able to read, not just journals, obviously. We look at the canon and we say, you know, I've never read, um, never read like the classics. I've never read uh, the Brontes. I've never read, uh, haven't read enough Virgil. You name it, everybody's got their weak spot or in my case a million weak spots that you just hope nobody brings up because <laughs> you just don't want to admit to the fact that no I haven't actually read that yeah I just never really got to it I hope to get to it one day but that book is in that scary teetering stack of other books I haven't read so that is a huge common theme that people bring up at the end of these chats we do tend to talk quite a bit on here too about writing and how much we write. And again, I think this is an area where we're all very hard on ourselves. My current working theory, which has changed quite a bit from where I was at two years ago, three years ago when I started this podcast, is that the work of a poet looks really different to say the work of a journalist or a novelist. There's all this advice around sitting down for 20 minutes a day, doing your morning pages if you're a Julia Cameron type, having a daily habit. I think there's a lot to be said for it, but I think the reality of a poet's work is that it happens in between times. It happens on the back of envelopes, on public transport. It happens in the middle of the night. It happens at work and in a way you're always working and in a way it looks like you're never really doing anything <laughs> or there's these small bursts of activity and yeah I think we feel guilty about that because it doesn't look the way that we expect it to perhaps again it's just that issue of never enough 
never reading enough, never writing enough. The second thing that comes up in these off mic conversations is that we all feel very stretched in terms of our energies. And a huge area for this is poetry events. Now, I feel that I can go into this area fairly guilt-free because I'm a poetry event organizer myself. So if I'm being critical of poetry events, that means I'm criticizing my own event. Down here in Melbourne, I run Sporting Poets once a month. And I am acutely aware of the importance of that event and also the fact that it is something that could be an obligation for people. And I don't think that people show up out of obligation, to be clear, but I think maybe it could be a source of guilt sometimes um, if you are not able to show up. I know I feel that way when a poetry event passes me by that I just wasn't able to get to for whatever reason. I feel that way all the time. You know, something happened on a Monday night and I just wasn't there because I've got a regular thing that I do on Mondays. Um, and you hate that you can't just clone yourself and go to these, go to all these things because there's so much to be gained by being at them in terms of meeting people and hearing people's work and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much going on sometimes, especially if you live in a metro area like Melbourne or Sydney, where there are a lot, a lot, a lot of events. So again, that never enough theme comes up in terms of never being able to participate to the degree that you might possibly like to. The other side of that is that for a lot of people, events like that are really challenging. I think it's tough to walk into a room of your peers where the central theme of the event is the work that you are doing. Maybe that sounds sort of silly. Maybe it should be more of a celebratory thing. And, and maybe it is for some people. But I know from, again, having these little conversations off mic that there is a strong um, theme of, I find those things really hard. I find them really tiring. It's, it's difficult for me sometimes to talk to people. I don't really feel like I belong there. Um, and I think that's funny too, because we're all saying, I don't belong there. So everyone's feeling like an outcast, <laughs> which sort of doesn't make sense. You know, if you're in a room where everyone feels like an outcast and probably nobody is, um, but it's tough. It's, it is tough. I know from when I first moved down to Melbourne, when I first started going to these things, I was very, very, very shy and would often show up late and leave early without talking to anyone because I found it just, I just found it really intimidating. Didn't know what the rules were, didn't know what to say to the people that I knew by sight. Anytime I would manage to have a conversation, I would be incredibly awkward and then regret that for the next month. So, yeah, again, I bring that up not as a criticism of those events. I think they absolutely need to be there. I think it's always valuable to go to something like that. You always get something out of it. Even if you hated every minute of it, at least you learn something about what you don't like. 
But yeah, just to say that if you find those things hard and tiring, you're absolutely not alone. So many people seem to find that, at least amongst the people that I have spoken to for this podcast. The third thing that I think we all share is a bit of a secret love for what uh, an early interviewee of mine, Benjamin Dodds, called poets with a Coldplay problem. Your Mary Oliver's, your Billy Collins's, poets that are just so quote-unquote easy and mainstream that you feel like you can't bring them up in polite conversation. But I think we all have one of these, or many of us do. Um, I think there's been more than one occasion where I've asked a poet to talk about a poet that they admire or whose work is important to them. And we've had that conversation for the podcast and that's been great. And again, as they're walking out the door, they've said, oh, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, Billy Collins or something like that, but I wasn't, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem like it was literary enough which is so funny to me because I don't think of myself as particularly literary person. Um, yeah, I think we have our guilty pleasures when it comes to the poets that we love. And again, I think it's kind of nice to know that everybody has that. Even if they keep it really quiet, everyone's got a, um, you know, Wild Geese gets quoted a lot by yoga teachers, but it's a pretty great poem <laughs> at the end of the day. That's why it gets quoted all the time by yoga teachers. The fourth thing I wanted to bring up is I think we all have a white whale in terms of publication. I don't know many poets who I've interviewed, even the ones who published widely and who have achieved recognition in the traditional kind of sense um, who don't still have something that they want to crack and even more so for the poets who are newer who I've spoken to will often talk after the the mic goes off about oh I'm still trying to crack you know this journal I'm still trying to get in here and I just feel like it's never going to happen it's never going to happen and, uh, you know, I just don't think I'm the right kind of poet for that. And, yeah, I've seen more than one interviewee that who I've spoken to go on to get published in the journal that they thought was their white whale, which is really satisfying to see. But, again, I think it's something that we, we all have. And if you're out there listening and you feel like everyone else is getting published in all these places, but I'm never going to get there. Um, yeah, you're definitely not alone. I think we all have those, or maybe not just the one, maybe we have many publications that we feel like we're just never going to get into. And the last thing I wanted to bring up is I think once the mic goes off and people start to relax and they start to drop their kind of poet persona, I start to find out all kinds of interesting things about the stuff outside poetry that people like. And again, as with the Billy Collins, Mary Oliver type stuff, I think we all have our guilty pleasures. I mean, guilty pleasures is a terrible way to put it, really. 
we have those things that are not seen as perhaps um, elevated enough, high culture enough, that we still really love. Uh, a TV show, pop music, or even more mundane things like some form of exercise, you know, some form of keeping ourselves healthy, which is really important, legitimate thing for people who spend a lot of time up in their heads to do, um, that we don't bring up, we don't talk about. We don't talk about all that like supporting work of keeping yourself healthy and sane because, again, it doesn't seem elevated, doesn't seem cool maybe to say, I have to go for a walk with my dog every day, otherwise I feel crazy or, you know, I'm actually a long-distance um, mountain bike rider or something like that. Uh, one of the most satisfying things about making this podcast for me has been people writing to me and saying your episode on poet X, insert name here, really humanized them for me. And that means so much because I know that for me, for many, many years, like a decade, all the poets publishing around me, all my contemporaries just seemed like bylines, just names, just inscrutable people with these bios that just seemed like oh everyone hates bios as well that's another thing um <laughs> yeah these people didn't seem real they seemed like a list of achievements that I would never be able to come close to and then when the mic goes off people reveal themselves to be surprise surprise humans with complicated lives with very normal desires normal demands on their time uh, normal priorities, just everyday concerns. The vision, I think, that maybe some of us have in our heads of like maybe a metro poet in um, skinny black jeans smoking a cigarette forever, leaning against a building. Well, that poet still has to pay their bills and they, they do very mundane things to make that happen. And similarly, the countryside poet that lives in a beautiful, quiet area, um, living the life of the mind, they've still got to go do the shopping and they absolutely do that. There is no mythical person that just gets to live a life outside of all that. And maybe that sounds ridiculous. Maybe that seems so obvious. But I do think that a lot of us tend to hold ourselves to some kind of standard in terms of what a poetic life should look like and compare ourselves against this ideal that is probably some mashup of um, C.S. Lewis and Elizabeth Bishop. <laughs> like... You've got like an office in a rainforest and someone does all your housework and cooking for you um, and you just write a hundred perfect poems in your life or something. Yeah, I don't know. These people are not real. <laughs> this, this is not a real achievable thing. So yeah, those are the themes that come up when people are leaving my house or I'm leaving their house. And we just start to talk like normal people. And I really hope that hearing all that is 
useful and comforting and maybe motivating might help you to keep going to keep writing we're all just doing our best and yeah as always thank you so much for listening i can't believe there's 99 of these now there will be more don't worry this is not some kind of ending at all uh stay tuned thanks for listening